the 60 year old couple that we talked about if they make an estimated $60,000 for the year that subsidy is almost a thousand dollars per month so yeah it can be very significant um, yeah that can go a long way to help them pay for that that medical plan that we were talking about previously welcome to retire smarter with Kevin Krosky find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world it's time to retire smarter It's time to retire smarter once again. Walter Storlitz here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio and Southwest Florida. You can find the team online at truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, time for another episode today. How are you, sir? I'm good, Walter. We are we're fresh off my uh, my oldest daughter's seventh birthday yesterday. So uh, it was on, on a Monday, and uh, the school happened to have a, a teacher in service day. So you know, all the kids are off school. Daughter's birthday. We're like, all right, you know, we'll have her birthday on on the Monday, and we had uh, they, they six. did that just for her, didn't they? <laughs> yes, they had, they got the memo. Um, but my wife uh, is is. She just goes kind of over the top. I mean, she we she had a pretty rough growing up, and <laughs> I would say nobody really cared about her, let alone her birthday, unfortunately, or certainly not enough. In all honesty, and I and she is making sure that our daughter does not feel the same. And Aubrey had a, a mermaid birthday party, which started off with uh, having six of her friends come over in the morning, uh, and they were all. And it dressed like mermaids and then we went out on the boat and literally we saw 16 dolphins and so it got to the point where it was like oohs and ahs and then after like 13 or 14 it was like hey there's another dolphin (laughs) (laughs) they were spoiled with dolphins it was fantastic and um and i was captain merman uh of the vessel and uh, we came back uh, and actually had all all the same six and seven year olds that we ventured out with. So we brought everybody back. The girls were great. Um, had an absolutely fantastic day and birthday, and absolutely exhausting day for the parents as well. So it was uh, it was quite an event, uh, but I'm sure one that you'll remember for a while. I'd love to go back to like the 16 year old Kevin Krosky and play him that clip of you saying, "And I was Captain Merman with such." pride and and you know vim and vigor i <laughs> see, see your 16 year old's reaction to that be yeah, great. all right well truth be told and there's a few clients that know this and i know one uh she listens to the podcast every time and she's seen this but um some years ago uh so i mean i have two girls and so i'm gonna play with my girls and uh the girls will play with barbies and my my team members some years ago for my birthday got me a Ken doll. They're like, well, we heard about your 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 girl Barbie voice was not very good. It was actually quite scary. So we thought we'd get you a Ken doll. So I now have a collection of Ken dolls uh, that it's just become this running joke. But yes, I play with the Ken dolls with my daughters who play with the Barbies. And yesterday, uh, I do have uh, one Barbie doll or Ken doll that is a merman. So he is he's merman. <laughs> I call him Kavina. It's kind of a little bit of a spin, a more effeminate spin of Kevin. But 
I am going uh, way, way off topic here and, and completely <laughs> going to regret it. this. But yes, it. that's the world I live in. You're listening to the Retire Smarter Podcast <laughs> right. with Walter Storholt and Kavina Krosky on today's show. <laughs> I'm not going to let you live that one down for a little while. It's, what it's, you uh, see is what you get, Walter. That's right. That's right. We're not we're not afraid to, uh, to, to show it all here on the show. That's for sure. Well, we've got another great episode today. You know, if you'd listen to the last episode, we had special guest Zig Novak joining us from Advanced Insurance Designs, and we talked about Medicare. And on today's show, Kevin, we want to shift gears a little bit and uh, kind of talk about the earlier part of the healthcare equation, that kind of pre-65 healthcare planning and idea. Why is it so important not only to focus on that Medicare solution, but what happens leading up to that 65-year-old age for folks? Sure. So, you know, we talked in the last episode that once you get on a, uh, Medicare at 65, ballpark, you know, you're looking at about, you know, maybe 3000 or so per year per person, uh, at least initially for your premiums and out-of-pocket costs. Certainly can be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but maybe that's a good starting point. And that's, that's candidly, that's pretty low. And particularly once we talk about some of the costs for pre-65 healthcare today, I think that I'll juxtapose that nicely. Um, but whenever you're looking at some different choices, say you have a husband and wife and you know they're 60, they've done well, and uh, they're financially independent and they decide that you know, they don't want to work any longer and they want to go ahead and make that transition. Well, uh, everybody that we work with, one of their, their top concerns uh, is, is universally, it, it's their health and health, their health care is related to that. And you, you go from working for an employer and having this employer provide a plan for 30, 40, maybe even 50 years, and you have maybe one or two or three plans to choose from during open enrollment. And the employer really handles everything else. Your premiums are deducted pre-tax from your pay. You have a little bit out of pocket. Boom, bam, done. Maybe put money in an HSA, but that's about it. And then once you leave that employer, now here's where a lot more choices and complexity come into the fray. So uh, this is why we're doing this episode. We really want to talk about those choices on a high level, and uh, we'll get into some planning aspects too. Uh, but uh, as we mentioned, or as Walter mentioned, we have uh, Zig joining us today. And Zig, when I think about uh, uh, talking with a client that's that's making this transition, that's retiring, we're just going to use this, say, this 60-year-old couple, husband and wife, for discussion purposes today. Uh, but they're leaving work. If they have one spouse that's maybe going to continue to work to a certain degree, you know, maybe they can just, you know, the other, the retiring spouse can go on to their plan. So maybe that's one option. Uh, they're retiring. They could have COBRA. We'll talk about COBRA a little bit. Um, you know, if they do have retiring medical through their company, um, that could also be an option. Uh, but those options tend to be going away uh, over the last several years. Um, or they have, uh, I'll just call it an ACA policy or kind of an exchange-based policy, uh, Affordable Care Act. Uh, so, um that's how I kind of frame this. And, and, and those choices, you know, or some of them are time bound like Cobra, but is there anything I, I'm missing there or anything that you would add to kind of those four choices? I would add one option and it's one that we look at frequently, but I, I completely agree with, you know, if you have a spouse that is working that has access to an employer plan, you can check with that HR person and the person that oversees that plan to see if there's access. Bottom line, you know, I we will line up a handful of options for people that are asking, 
and you know put them side by side which one's the best option you know a lot, a lot of times cobra as you said is a good option we can compare one person groups also in this you know in this day and age uh really since 2016 it's been a focus of ours so if somebody that is inquiring does have it is a sole proprietor or does have a you know a one person company even that has a tax id number that is an option that I'm going to look at. As you said, you know, Obamacare, ACA plans, depending on your family size and income, can be an option. Those are a little, can be a little tougher nowadays. You know, the networks on those have been something, uh, they're very strict networks, making it a little tougher over the past couple years. So, you know, retiree medical, we don't run into it much, but it is out there from time to time. So I agree with you. So if we have, um, we'll just kind of tackle these a little bit more one by one. So if you have a spouse that's continuing to work, uh, certainly, you know, you have what they say in insurance uh, legalese, I suppose, but you have a qualifying event, right? You know, you're retiring that it's kind of a triggering event that could allow, um, let's say the, say the husband is retiring and and the wife is going to continue to work. And uh, that husband retiring is is kind of a, a qualifying event that would uh, potentially allow him to go on to his wife's policy, you know, through uh, her employer. If that, am I using that nomenclature right on the qualifying event? Correct. Okay, so we could certainly look at you know what the cost is to do that to add them on. Um, one of the benefits of doing that uh, is that literally, I mean, it, it technically doesn't have to be, but every, and functionally, it, it's always this way, but the premiums for the healthcare are going to be deducted pre-tax, you know, from the pay um, uh, for those premiums, which is it's a great benefit. It's much better to spend pre-tax dollars than it is to spend after-tax dollars, which is what you would have to use if, if you went on to COBRA. So, Cobra, uh, Zig, what, how long do you have when you leave work to uh, elect to enroll in Cobra? Kevin, I think what you're alluding to is what we call floating Cobra. You have 63 days from the date of the event to elect Cobra. So, you know, let's say you lose coverage the end of the previous month. You have, you know, two months essentially now to decide if you want to go back to when you lost coverage and elect it. That gives you options. You know, at that point, people can can go and look for, like we say, an Obamacare ACA plan or other options available. And, you know, some people, I've had clients that go the 60 days and say, okay, I found another option in between. I never had any medical expenses and we can move on. We don't have to pay that, you know, the COBRA premium. I uh, just had a client recently said, yeah, I'm in COBRA and, you know, getting uh, approaching my next option, but I had to go back and buy COBRA because I had a medical situation. So uh, the floating COBRA aspect of it, it is 63 days to elect and you know, we can help people if they have questions on that. So two, so let's just call it two months. Maybe it'd be safe and, and give a, a buffer day or two, depending on how many days in a month. And we actually just had a client as well that uh, is was retiring um, and they're eligible for for Medicare uh, soon. And, and they're like, well, we're just going to go ahead and elect COBRA. I'm like, well, you know, hey, maybe you can actually just wait and see if you need care over those two months. If everything's fine, you still have, you know, these two months to retroactively enroll. And if you don't need the health care, then, then you're fine. You just go on to Medicare. But um, the other, I guess, and I'm going from memory here, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Zig, but I believe the employer, I think it's by law, has to send out that COBRA paperwork. It's either within, I think it's within 30 days or so of the separation 
from employment. Do you, does that sound right to you? So it's it should be 15 days for 15. COBRA. And there is there there is a discrepancy. You know, COBRA is a federal law for employers 20 plus. There's a state law we call COBRA or state continuation, I should say, that is or mini COBRA sometimes. But Ohio has a state law for employers under 20 that I believe that's where it's 30 days to get that state continuation notice out. Okay. Now, thanks for the clarification. So, uh, so ballpark, uh, let's just kind of stay with the, the federal and the COBRA. So about 15 days, you know, you, sh- you should be getting your, your packet with all the COBRA information. Uh, you have another than, you know, I'll just I'll stick with the kind of the two months. So use 15 days is about a half a month. So you have another month and a half to elect to en- enroll in COBRA. Um, there is not to get, too off topic, but uh, there was something in the CARES Act that was passed earlier this year, uh, and, and again, I'm going from memory here, but I believe it actually allows you to enroll in COBRA even after that uh, that two-month kind of more standardized window period. So just kind of a quick note if that may apply to anybody that uh, you may want to look into that a little bit more. But uh, so you have COBRA. In, in our experience, I'm um, curious to hear what your points are, but a lot of times when we'll do that kind of analysis in, in COBRA, um, versus like an ACA plan, at least over the last you know several years, because you're getting the benefit of that. That probably, if you're coming from a big employer, you're, you're that big employer group, um, and you can go ahead and and just go ahead and pay the full premium. I think under Cobra law, technically, not only do you pay the full premium, the employer's not subsidizing anymore, but the employer can also add on maybe like a 2% admin fee. But even if you're paying like, you know, the full premium plus the small admin fee, a lot of times that seems, you know, set aside any tax credit for a moment, but that seems to have been a better choice for most of our clients versus going on to uh, what I would just say like an ACA plan. Um, has that been your experience as well? Right now in this environment, it does seem most often that COBRA is a better option. You know, again, we'll, we'll line them up side by side and any other options that uh, a particular client may have. But, you know, with COBRA, you're getting the group PPO network typically, or, you know, the network of doctors and providers. And there's a cost to that. Sometimes it is a little more than maybe what we would get on an individual Obamacare plan, but the network is significantly better and makes a big difference. Uh, you know, there are examples in the Obamacare individual family options that particular hospitals aren't accessible. So, you know, COBRA becomes uh, very competitive in that situation. Then again, uh, depending on your family size and income, an individual family ACA or Obamacare plan can be very cost effective if we can find one that fits your needs. So even if we have our, our 260-year-olds and we determine that, hey, it is in their benefit to go on to COBRA, that they can only do that for uh, 18 months. Um, if they're disabled, I believe they can go for 36. Uh, but if they are just kind of non-disabled, they go for 18 months. And now if they're 60 and they elect COBRA, now they're 61 and a half, and now they're going to be forced to go and, and do something different. So again, we'll kind of set aside the retired medical, but let's go into the, the Obamacare plans or these ACA plans uh, for short. And I know speaking from experience, I was, we have a, a small business and we had a group plan and then it, it really didn't candidly like years ago, the, uh, at least when the ACA, I don't want to say when it first came out, but 
I looked at what we were being offered under the group plan and I looked at our costs and our deductibles and the benefits under the individual plans. And it was better, uh, at least at that point in time, to be under the individual plans. And and that's changed um, for us over time. It's always a, a moving target. But uh, it, it's, been, <laughs> it's been a... I would say kind of a bad lesson to learn. It's bad. It's definitely been a bad experience. It hasn't been a bad lesson, but you know, my family and I were in our mid forties now and we were on these plans and um, it's not like the plans were bad, but we were again, small employer. Uh, Zig, I know your company is a small employer um, and you know, we can do certain things, but my family and I, I can speak first person here because you know, I own the business. I remember over a three year period between premiums and out of pocket expenses, we paid, just a smidge under fifty thousand dollars. It was like forty-eight, forty-nine thousand. And you know, we had a daughter. We were trying to grow our family, and unfortunately, we had some miscarriages. And um, wife had to have an eye surgery. I had to get a CPAP machine. But I mean, we were, we were by and large like healthy. It was like late thirties to early forties, and we're looking at this. I'm like, oh, I can't believe though, like what we ended up having to, to spend in aggregate. And then each year, our premiums would just get larger and larger and larger. And again, you know, you want, <laughs> you should expect to lose money on average for insurance. You know, that's a basic principle there. You know, the insurance company has to be in business, what have you. But um, I mean, it was just, I don't know, it was like a punch in the mouth every year. Not just because we were consuming healthcare, but just because our premiums, even if we didn't consume healthcare, our premiums were going up by a lot. So I've had a lot of kind of, um, I would say a lot, but we've had some firsthand experience over the last few years with, you know, these small group plans, which I don't really want to talk about today, but we've been on the ACA plans. And then in 2019, what we have, because we go back from Ohio to Florida, all of the Ohio plans um, turned into these HMO plans and we just only had local coverage in Ohio. And it was like, well, you know, if, um, so I asked, I said, well, what if hap something happens to my family when we're in Florida? What if we need to see a doctor? I said, well, if it's, if it's an emergency, then you'll be covered. But if it's just kind of a regular visit or something, it's out of network and your SOL, I think is the insurance term that they used. Um, or maybe that's just what I thought of, but, um, but it's been a moving target, like each and every year, it's like, we've, we've just had to kind of really relook at this and it, and it's been frustrating. Um, I guess I'm kind of venting rather than asking a question here, Zig, but this is probably part of your job description, you probably have to counsel and calm down people like me and kind of work through all the different options when it comes to the ACA. Absolutely. That's, that's what we do. You know, our goal is to find the best option available out of, you know, what's out there for us to find. So, so Zig, if we're looking at this 60 year old husband and wife and, you know, obviously their Cobra is going to run out like we talked about after 18 months generally, uh, and then they're going to have to go on to generally speaking, onto an, an ACA plan, um, when you start looking at the cost for them, you know, maybe we can just kind of talk you know, round numbers for what a, like kind of the lowest cost plan would be. But what does that ballpark look like for that husband and wife on a monthly basis? I'd ballpark that uh, around $1,200, about $600 each per person uh, for the month without subsidy. And when you're looking at a plan that's about $600 per month per person, you know, I'm guessing that's probably going to have a fairly large out of pocket that they're going to have to go through before the insurance company would really any pay anything of substance. Is that, is that a fair estimate? That is the definition that we use of a catastrophic plan. I mean, it's an $8,000 deductible per person 
and you know no co-pays per se everything is going to apply towards that eight thousand dollars prior to the insurance company picking up much benefit with the exception of you know some of the ACA regulations that require like first dollar preventative benefits and those kinds of things those could be covered but you know your typical office visits prescriptions those are all going to apply towards deductible and once that deductible is met would be the only time you start to see the benefit so let me just do a quick adding up here but if we're talking about six hundred dollars per month per person so my brain tells me that's a little bit more than fourteen thousand dollars just in premium costs Okay, maybe I get to see my doctor, um, you know, for an annual physical, and I don't have to pay anything. But if we get in an accident, God forbid, um, and we both need a lot of health care, then we're each going to have to pay eight thousand dollars out of pocket, or sixteen grand, before the insurance company is then gonna, you know, basically go ahead and, and pay our claims over and above that. So the fourteen for our premiums, sixteen uh, again. If I'm looking at the worst case out of pocket so now i'm up to like 30 grand if i have a really really bad year on one of these catastrophic policies is that right that's correct all right walter we may need to pause for a minute i'm gonna go get a drink um okay, go for it. <laughs> no 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 I, that was a joke oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>, right over <laughs> yes uh a different kind of drink um yeah this is and this is what this is what frightens people. This is what about healthcare that people are concerned about because they've heard some of these horror stories. Maybe they know somebody. Again, I mean, I've I've lived through it, it, it to a certain degree. You know, late thirties, early forties, family of two, then of three, and we're in aggregate paying out fifty thousand dollars almost over a three-year period and just getting smacked upside the head. And uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's tough. It, it's like, what are we even paying this for? We would have been better off just self-insuring because the insurance company really didn't pay anything for us. Uh, so uh, now, granted, we didn't have to have like a catastrophic uh, type event, but that's potentially what we're looking at. And so if we're going from, uh, Zig, from say like a catastrophic policy of 600 per month, um, I know that's maybe kind of one of the you know, low-end bronze plans, if you will. And then, you know, they kind of have these, you know, bronze, silver, gold. If you're looking for a more benefit rich plan, I got to imagine you'd probably, you know, be well more than double in some cases that $600 per month. Is that is that about right? So, you know, I ran a quick estimate while you were talking and you're talking for a gold level plan around $3,000 for those two people per month. All right. So 3000 per month or about $1,500 per person. So this is what... Candidly, this is what freaks people out if they're going to retire early and they don't have retiree medical coverage or their employers, you know, go, doing away with it uh, or they don't have a spouse that's continuing to work who they can go onto their plan. The good thing, if there is such a thing, but the good thing that I will tell p clients that are looking at something like this, and we have plenty of clients that retired in their maybe late 50s, early 60s, and literally are spending an aggregate of you know, north of $20,000 per year uh, between them uh, for premiums and, and just total healthcare costs. Uh, and it stings. And you'll often hear that people are going to keep working until they're eligible for it's really not just for Medicare. You can kind of think about it as working until you're 63 and a half, because if you work till 63 and a half, then you can go on to Cobra, which you're still going to pay a lot more for, but it's probably going to be 
like we already discussed, a lot better than some of these ACA plans, at least as they currently exist. Uh, and then you can take COBRA for the 18 months and then go into Medicare. So 63 and a half is kind of a, a magical number for a lot of people. But if I'm looking at this from a financial planning perspective, I will say, look, you know, even if you're 60 and you're retiring, and even if it's going to be, say, 30 grand a year between the two of you, at least that's kind of a known figure. You know, we, we have these premiums, um, you know, what Zig was, was talking about is, at, at least in those catastrophic plans, after you meet that $8,000 uh, and uh, there's there's no co-insurance after that, the insurance company's got to pick it all up. Um, or whatever plan that you can pick, there's always going to be some combination of kind of out-of-pocket and premium costs that you're going to get to the total cost. But it's a known number of years. In this case, if they're 60 and they're going to be eligible for Medicare at 65, it's five years of kind of you know paying through the nose for healthcare. And yes, it stinks. Um, and no, it's not good. Uh, but if you can still afford to do it, and and we can at least model that worst case scenario, which is candidly, you know, a likely scenario for many, then you can still retire. You know, maybe you still want to work uh, for whatever reason, but just working because of healthcare, I wouldn't start there. You know, you may look at it and say, look, hey, I, I like my job. I get six to eight weeks off per year. I'm making a lot of money. It's not as hard. I've been doing it for a while. You know, I have a lot of flexibility. I get these good benefits. And so when you kind of look at my total comp and the hassle factor of earning it, it's worth it for me to keep working. And, and I'd say that's great. You know, it's not just about retiring and going to do something different. It's about getting the most out of life, whatever that may be for you. But just working because of the healthcare thing, I would say is probably a little bit wrongheaded in a starting point. Again, I think the better way to approach it is here's our expenses, here's our lifestyle, here's the healthcare component that we need to make sure that we're planning for. And yes, it's going to be costly if we're retiring you know, pre-65 and we have to go on to an ACA plan, potentially. We'll talk about the tax credits in a moment. Um, but at least, one, it's truncated. It's only for a period of years. And two, it, it's in there. We'll kind of work it into the plan and make sure that it's something that you can afford to do in addition to all the other things that you want to be able to do over time. So I think that's an important thing to take away. You hear a lot of people when we ask them when they want to retire, and oftentimes it'll be like 65 or 66 just because they've heard this, you know, this magical age for Medicare, for their Social Security for retirement age or something of the sort. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's really just making sure that we're planning for these costs and kind of working everything in. But when you're financially independent, you're financially independent. And then you should really just, I would suggest, think about it as far as do I want to keep working for because I want to, because you don't have to after you're financially independent. So just, just I, I get it that these healthcare costs are a lot, but, but don't lose sight of that financial independence standpoint. So the cost can be pretty high, but then as we've alluded to a few times, there's these premium tax credits. And we've talked about this in prior tax planning episodes that we did in, at the tail end of 2019, but they can be substantial. And uh, this is something that we go through and with our clients that, this may apply to, but when you have two people in this example that may avail themselves of uh, these tax credits, uh, it can be pretty significant. So when I look at this and it can get complicated as most government programs do, but 
simply put, um, the tax credits are really based on a percentage of the poverty level. And you have to be below 400% of the poverty level. And that number moves a little bit every year based on kind of inflation as well as how many people are in the household. But in the example that we're talking about, there's there's two people in the household. You know, the husband and wife, the kids are out of college, they're on their own. You know, it's just the two of them. And as long as their income is is a little bit below $70,000 of adjusted gross income, they may qualify for, uh, for a tax credit. And uh, their expected contribution is kind of what we, we think about at first. And at worst, if you are in that bucket of being able to qualify for a tax credit, being below that 400% of the poverty line, um, it's about 10% of your adjusted gross income that they really kind of want to limit your healthcare expense to. And that's a rule of thumb. That percentage is lower if you're, you know, maybe only at 200% of the federal poverty line, but that's kind of a quick rule of thumb. Um, and then they benchmark it to what they call the second lowest cost silver plan that's available for you. So um, you look at this expected contribution, you subtract out the second lowest cost silver plan, and then basically you get your tax credit. So if we take uh, maybe an extreme example of, let's say we have just one person and they have uh, a very low adjusted gross income. We, maybe we intentionally do this. You have a few different pockets of money. You have your money down at the bank that you know, is getting a little bit of interest and you get a 1099 for maybe every January. And you have some Roth money and you have some pre-tax IRA money. And now that you're retired and you're over 59 and a half, you can pull this money out um, in a very deliberate fashion. And you could have, we have some clients that have a couple million dollars and are still availing themselves of these tax credits because not a lot of income are hitting their tax returns. So when I say in this example that you have 17,000 of adjusted gross income, that sounds low. And that's true, but when you pull the money out of, say, the, the checking account down at your bank, maybe you have $100,000 there. Maybe you need to live on $80,000 that year. You pull $80,000 out, none of that $80,000 is going to show up on your tax return because you already paid taxes on it. So that's kind of the simple thing to remember here. But if you have a single person, 17000 of AGI, their expected contribution for 2020 or 21, I can't remember what year I pulled, but uh, is about 40 bucks a month. And so let's say that their benchmark plan, uh, the second lowest cost silver plan, so this is a little bit more benefit rich than that catastrophic plan Zig and I spoke about, is, is also, let's say it's 740 per month. So you take your expected contribution minus that, that benchmark plan, uh, and you find that you get a tax credit of about $700 per month or $8,400 per year. Significant. So now the premiums are, are really low, Granted, you know, you could still have a fairly high out-of-pocket risk there depending on the type of plan that you pick, but the tax credit is really independent of which plan you pick. It's You have the benchmark plan that's in there, um, but you can pick a bronze plan if you want. You can pick uh, a gold plan. That's still really up to you. But if you're looking at the total cost and you can get maybe a seven or $8,000 tax credit to go ahead and subsidize your premium expense, now all of a sudden you're looking and say, okay, hey, yeah, I'm still paying. I still have some risk there. Maybe I have, you know, four or five, six thousand dollars out of pocket in a worst case. But my monthly premium cost is is candidly, it's less than hundred bucks. It's forty dollars in that example that I gave. Now it's more palatable. And now, okay, I feel a little bit better about retiring. And certainly nobody's gonna say no to a tax credit. So in, in our experience, Zig, and, and I don't know how 
much you may get into this, but you know, being that we do a lot of tax planning for our clients and we tie all this stuff together with the retirement distribution plan and certainly looping you in and making sure that the healthcare uh, is, is decisions are made properly. Um, but when you have those, those decisions about where we're going to pull money from and avail ourselves of the tax credit, this ACA tax credit, if that is truly the option that makes sense for them, um, then it's so beneficial that it just really makes sense to keep your income as low as possible and avail yourself of, the, of that tax credit. Any comments that you would add to I know I kind of just not really asked a question here, but anything you'd like to add to that, Zig? I can give you, you know, Kevin, based on what we're talking about, the 60-year-old the, the couple that we talked about, if they make an estimated $60,000 for the year, that subsidy is almost $1,000 per month. So, yeah, it can be very significant. Um, yeah, that can go a long way to help them pay for that, that medical plan that we were talking about previously. But I leave the, uh, the financial aspect of it. That's, that's your portion, and you come to me, and I can help with this side of things, you know, the, the, the plan that we recommend for the medical portion of it. Yeah, which is a good point because when you're doing this too and you, you the government is going to ask you, um, hey, what's your income going to be? And can you talk a little bit about how that may work to just maybe offset the premium versus getting a, a refund uh, when you're submitting those applications or what sort of information that the government may be asking to verify what you're stating your income is going to be? So to try and quickly go through the process, you know, when, when Kevin, when you ask me to run quotes for somebody and I sit down and we say, okay, this is the plan that we're going to look at. Let's take, a, you know, for example, the plan that we said is about 1200 bucks. It's, it's closer to 1150, but, and then we add in, or I should say we subtract out that $992 subsidy for a, a couple that makes uh, $60,000. We're going to estimate that it is, you know, you can bring in a tax return, you can bring in information, but uh, when the, the application process is we do the quick quote, we pick a plan, we actually go through the electronic application and in the healthcare.gov uh, application for the subsidy, we're going to specify income and you know, it's actually reconciled with your tax return. So we want to be accurate. And then, you know, we get an official subsidy notice that we're going to get around a thousand dollars or so. Uh, if we use this, this couple as an example. And again, now, you know, I say this is where your financial professional, your insurance guy and your, and your accountant all have to kind of work together because that subsidy eligibility that we're going to estimate based on the information you give us has to be, you know, your accountant is responsible. If, if the IRS questions it, uh, your accountant is going to be the one to have to go to bat for you. So, well, and let me interject on that. I mean, the, um, the taxpayer is always the one who's, you know, they're the one who's signing everything. So they're, the, the account may need to go to, to bat for you in a way, but um, the taxpayer always bears responsibility. So I think that's an important point to, to know. But it, what you're saying, I, I agree with Zig. I mean, and, and that's one of the reasons why we uh, triangulate all this stuff, but we try to make it easier for the people that we work with. Nobody wants to be kind of pinged around between like three different people and just saying, well, this person said this and that person said that. And then you have to, you know, the, uh, the client's the one who's got to make sense of it all. That's why we... we Candidly, it's why we try to do everything. That's why like, we have you come in our office. That's why we're kind of looped in on everything. So we can just make our clients' lives simple and effective. But um, but we've, I guess what I was partly alluding to is sometimes you'll have a big change of income. You know, we have clients making maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, I'm thinking one, you know, about two million bucks, but they're getting about a fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars tax credit. And 
you can you can kind of do a premium advance in a way, or you can get the credit. It all reconcile when come tax return time. But we've had some clients where uh, they wanted additional information from the government about, hey, your income was pretty high. You're you're saying it's going to be low, and you want this you know kind of premium advance, if you will. And there's some risk there to that too. Um, so I've heard the government uh, is kind of getting a little, cracking down a little bit more on providing that premium advance in some cases. Maybe maybe you've seen that, maybe you haven't, but that's been some kind of third party information I've gotten recently. I've not seen anything on it. Uh, you know, as far as if it's you're saying they could potentially where where we apply the tax credit is typically monthly, but it can be applied on the back end in the tax return. And I've not seen where they're going to try and move for that. Okay. Yeah, we, we've had a couple where it's come up and they've asked it for additional information. Um, and in one case, I, Kennedy, I think they, they changed it. Um, I'm going to go from memory here. Uh, but even if it's applied in advance, it's important that everybody knows it's always going to uh, reconcile on your tax return. So these thresholds about you know how much money uh, that you make, if you go over that 400% of federal poverty line, by single dollar, then your tax credit, you know, may go from a couple thousand to zero. So that part is, you got to be very precise. Um, the benefits can be very significant. And in our calculations over the years in doing this, um, you know, rather than being at kind of the upper end, you know, maybe for that couple that that two household couple, that husband and wife that we've been talking about, rather than being in the $60,000 range, if we can actually keep them even lower, then the benefits for the tax credits are so significant uh, that it actually makes sense to do that. So you, by doing that, then th that may seem like an obvious thing, but if you're gonna keep your income that low and you're a household of two, then you're gonna be really foregoing using up some of your lower tax brackets for, for that year. You know, you can have a little bit more than $100,000 hidden in your tax return. And uh, after the standard deduction, you're not paying any more than currently a 12% tax rate. And, and that's great. And then it's lower than what a lot of our clients have ever seen and probably will ever seen. Uh, and they may say, well, hey, why don't we take some money out of the IRA? And, and, and when we run the numbers and show it to them, we say, well, we could do that. But that's going to limit the tax credit that you're going to get for the ACA policies that you're on. And that's actually worth a lot more than just paying taxes at a little bit lower rate versus a potentially higher rate down the road. So I think that's important a planning aspect just to kind of keep in mind. Those are some certainly some things that we work through and help people figure that out. Um, but you can have competing objectives and you need to figure out which ones are going to make the most sense. And everybody's situation is different. We're all unique snowflakes, just like our parents used to tell us. But I guess just to start summing up here. So, you know, we have those different choices. Maybe your spouse is still working. You can go onto your spouse's plan. You have COBRA. Uh, if you're working for a big employer, it could be a little bit different. If you're with a smaller employer, uh, you have these ACA policies that are available potentially with the tax credit that could be very significant. And and we still do have clients that have retiree medical. Um, you know, First Energy, we have a lot of clients that were there. They, get, they did away with retiree medical probably 2014, 2015. After the ACA was passed, um, Goodyear still has it, um, but it's it's gotten a lot more costly over the years. Uh, we have clients at Firestone, a lot of these big and you know uh, Akron, Northeast Ohio employers. Firestone just announced they're they're doing away their retired medical. I think at the end of 2022, 
So we did an analysis for a couple of clients that are there and saying, hey, what, what does this really mean for me? Um, you know, they're kind of on the bubble. I, I'd like to keep working, but if I work past this date, then what am I giving up? And I can think of one client specifically, um, his wife was a few years younger. They're still looking to retire kind of like around age 60 or so. And literally, if they live to be kind of like normal life expectancy, uh, if they work past uh, the end of 2022, the benefit of the retired medical insurance that the company is taking away because they're going to be forcing people onto these ACA plans or onto Medicare and no more retired medical coverage was nearly $200,000 over, you know, both the husband and wife's lifetime. So, you know, so that that's substantial. So if, you, if you're a Firestone, if you know somebody's a Firestone and you're kind of on the bubble and getting close to retirement, um, that's certainly something that you want to look at. And one of the big reasons for that is because the cost before Medicare is so significant, like we've talked about today. So uh, there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, we didn't get into the other thing that Zig mentioned about, hey, if you actually are working, maybe you could start your own group plan, whether that's a one-person group or maybe a two-person group with you and your spouse. That's certainly something that you uh, may avail yourself of and, and could make sense. But you obviously have to have a business or some income, self-employment income to do that. But these are all the things that you need to think about when you're thinking about healthcare. And certainly it is more difficult before 65. Once you're on the Medicare, yes, you have to make some, you want to make good, smart decisions on your Medicare. But the difference between going on a supplemental plan or an advantage plan and if you have a quote unquote bad year for healthcare is infinitesimally uh, smaller than just the cost that you're looking at when you're pre-65 uh, and looking at some of these premium and out-of-pocket costs for the ACA. So this is going to continue to be a moving target. You know, we're getting into the election cycle. I'm sure healthcare is going to be talked about a lot. Um, the healthcare issue has obviously not been solved uh, in, in aggregate for Americans, and this is going to ongoing be a moving target, and, and that's why we're going to need people like Zig to help us think through it. So Zig, I appreciate you joining us today. And Walter, I know you've been kind of a fly on the wall here, but... Um, I don't know any wise closing comments from you, or has this been as clear as mud, or, <laughs> or are you still out getting a drink? Uh, I you, I took you up on your drink uh, drink idea, so uh, yeah, that was that was good stuff. Um, that joke went right over my head, but I loved it. Uh, no, I think that this has been really helpful, guys, to look at, uh, and interesting also in the first episode to look at Medicare first. And then to peel back and look at the pre-65 solutions that people need to think about as well. And feel like uh, a lot of the time we forget about that potential gap that's there and uh, the issues that arise with trying to uh, plan for those final couple of years leading into retirement and some of the complications that come along with it. So good to bring those things to light. I'm sure that we have listeners with questions. Maybe you've got something that we talked about on one of these past two episodes that you want more clarification on or want to talk a little bit about how all of this would look with your own situation and are you doing the right thing in planning for Medicare and, and planning for some of these uh, these other nuances that we've talked about on today's show. If that's the case, don't hesitate to reach out. You can do that 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526 and online at truewealthdesign.com. Click on the Are We Right For You button and you can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team and talk some more about the kinds of things that we discuss here on the show, but uh, germane to your particular 
situation and setup. Uh, thanks for joining us on today's show for Kevin Krosky and, of course, Zig Novak as well. I'm Walter Storholt. Hope you enjoyed the special guest today. We'll have to do more of these in the future. Uh, really enjoyed hearing you guys go back and forth on these topics today. So we'll have to pencil some more visits in with guests down the line. Uh, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.